This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Replicate Ministries with Robbie Gallaty and his team. Here's audio content from Replicate and their track called A Pathway for Making Disciples. My name's Tim LaFleur, and I have the privilege of um, being here on staff at Long Holland, part of the Replicate team. In fact, um, I was part of five guys who put together, along Pastor Robbie led us to do it, but I replicate when we first started out, and I've been there since the beginning, and it's been a, a tremendous time. It's been a tremendous journey. We had this transition in Replicate where we began to focus on pastors and church leaders. And ever since we've done that, God has really blessed all that we've done. Um, Some of the things you can hear about, if you go to the website, you can see is that we do a cohort where we journey together with pastors over a two-year period of time to be able to roll out discipleship in their church. And another thing we do is we uh, have blueprints. We, we do them um, off-site, we do them on-site, and we have information about that. So if you're more interested in what we're doing, what we're talking about, the thing that I like about Replicate is that we're all local church people. Um, and, and I'm not hating on anybody else. Uh, you know, they're doing what God's leading them to do. Some of them are more parachurch, but, but, but we're local church people. And, and the thing that I love, I believe there are three agents in the disciple-making process. Uh, first and foremost, there's the Spirit of God. But there's not only the Spirit of God, there's the disciple-maker. But a lot of times people... Uh, make disciples outside and apart from the local church. And the strategy we have to roll out discipleship in your church would be to be right in the middle of church. And what we believe is we believe in a more holistic approach where we give great value to the preaching of the Word, especially if it's expository preaching, Great value to the life group or the small group or the Sunday school. You don't have to blow up Sunday school to do our system. But we say with the addition of a third group, a discipleship group, then then you can really find accountability and relationships that focus on accountability in the church where people go deep. And it's been amazing to see what God's done. Uh, we're rolling it out here, but I was... The group's guy at Brainerd Baptist with Robbie in Chattanooga. And it was amazing to see what God did. People for the first time, even though it was more of a consumer, cultural, Christian area, people in our church were beginning to take ownership of their faith. They were beginning to walk with God. They were beginning to go deep. And here's what we believe. We believe that if we focus on the depth of our ministry, God will take care of the breadth of it. Amen. If we'll focus on the death, if we'll, uh, the depth of ministry, if we'll really make disciples, uh, we found that God takes care of the breath of the ministry. And so I want to encourage you. Today, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about gospel centered relationships. And there are so many things. I'm, I'm writing a small book. Robbie, uh, wrote a book called Marks. That's sort of a metric for determining what the end game is. We want believers after they go through a discipleship group, a discipleship relationship to be more missional, to be more accountable, to want to reproduce, to be more communal and to be scriptural. Okay. I'm going to write a little book called Gospel Centered Relationships, and this is a part of the book. 
um, that I'm gonna we're gonna roll out next year, but um, this is a part of it. Think about this: when you think gospel-centered relationships, what first comes to mind? You, what comes to mind is preaching. What else comes to mind? Say it again. Okay, the Gospels, living out the Gospel. By, by Gospel-centered relationships, what I mean by that is that because our lives are centered around Christ and the Gospel, and because we're going deep with God, and we're allowing Him to saturate our lives, then our whole manner of life, including our relationships, ought to be gospel-centered. Amen? We ought to have those kinds of relationships where Christ is central and where we can talk about the gospel. We ought to be showing and sharing the gospel with everybody everywhere. And so when you have a gospel-centered relationship, it's almost like friendship with a vision and with a purpose. I know about what your life verse is, but mine is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And here's what it says. We proclaim Him, teaching every man and warning every man with all wisdom, warning every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ Jesus. To this end I labor, striving according to His working that works in me mightily. And so what I want to do is I want to show and share the gospel of Christ with everybody everywhere. I want especially in my relationships to have this fragrance of the gospel. I I want it to be a sweet-smelling savor to God. I want it to be a fragrance where others are attracted to Christ and the gospel. All right, here's a principle of discipleship. Mark it down. Please write it down in the introduction part or on the back of your page, whatever we have. Write this down. You will reproduce of like kind. The guys you invest in The goal is you want them to look like Christ, but guess what? They're going to look a little bit like you. Dawson Trotman many years ago wrote a little booklet called Born to Reproduce. It's been reprinted. Some of you may have read it. But one of the principles, one of the foundational principles of that book is this, that we reproduce of like kind. Okay? That That's... That's the way it works. And so as I'm investing in people, as I'm following 2 Timothy 2.2, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, in trust to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. And so as I'm entrusting the gospel, as I'm investing in others, they're going to begin to take on some of my character qualities. If I think evangelism is important, they're going to think evangelism is important. If I think a daily quiet time is important, guess what? They're going to think a daily quiet time is important. If I believe that giving, that we ought to live our lives with open hearts and open hands is important, they're going to believe that giving is important. They begin to model you. Someone said it like this, example is not the best teacher, it's the only teacher. And I can't overemphasize this much, uh, too much. You will reproduce of like kind, and if that's the case, it's important to talk about your character. And basically what I want to share with you this morning is this. I want to share seven essentials, seven essential qualities for making disciples. These are character qualities. 
And so kind of with that being our framework and that being our foundation, the first quality is this. Effective disciple makers have a heart for God. And what I mean by that is you have a desire to know God intimately through relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to have a deep relationship with God. You want to love God more than anyone or anybody. You want to love God more than anything or anyone. That's your desire. You have a heart for God. Does that make sense to you? If you're wanting your disciple to learn what it means to live like Christ and be like Christ, you ought to have a heart to live like Christ and be like Christ. Amen? And so character is huge here. Look in your Bible at Matthew 22. The Bible's the textbook, we believe. Matthew 22, verse 37 and 38. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A lawyer asked Jesus in Luke's gospel, trying to trick him, what's the greatest commandment? And the Lord Jesus said, how do you read it? Matthew kind of is a different account. But the lawyer said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus said, you've answered rightly. And so Matthew 22, 37 and 38 Jesus says, this is the great and first commandment, loving God. And I'll submit to you that you're going to be an effective disciple maker if you have a heart for God. Is your life characterized by wanting to go deep in your relationship with God? Do you have a desire to know Him in a deep, intimate way and to make Him known? Why? Because God is your life. Your life is centered around Christ. Your life is centered around your relationship with God. You don't have to have a polarization of your life. You don't have to be one way in private, but another way in public. I love those guys. It's kind of what you see is what you get. Okay? There's no... Um, difference. They're the same way on the pulpit as they are in the pew. They're the same way before people publicly as they are privately. And that's what we've got to strive for. And, and so you ask yourself the question, is my heart really, do I have a heart for God? Am I, like David, a man after God's own heart? Only you can answer that question. But that's the kind of disciples we want to reproduce, right? People who have a heart for God. The second one is this, a heart for your disciple. Jesus said in that same passage in verse 39, And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So it's about loving God, it's about loving people. And and here's where it gets sticky, and I want you to listen carefully. You cannot see your disciple or the guys or gals that you invest in as a project. Don't, Don't look at people that way. See them as a precious soul for whom Christ died. See them as somebody that God's entrusted to your care. Have a mindset like the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas had when they went to Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
is probably the greatest. I have a whole chapter uh, in the book that I'm going to roll out on that. It's probably the greatest disciple-making manual in the whole Bible. And it's the way that Paul and Silas and Timothy treated and nurtured the new believers in Thessalonica. I love verse 8 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn there if you would. Verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That's his mindset. We love you guys. We appreciate you so much. Listen, when you heard the word from us, you received it, not as the word of a man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And it's impacted your lives. And we love you guys. We want to see you be all that you can be in Jesus. A young man named Preston came to our campus ministry. I was a BCM director for 20 years and incorporated these principles of discipleship on that campus. I was at a little regional school way down on the bayou in Thibodeau, Louisiana. You know where Thibodeau is? Any of you know where Thibodeau is? Nichols State University. Of all the unlikely places... For God to raise up godly leaders, Thibodeau, Louisiana. Um, in fact, during the course of the 20 years that I was there, God raised up more than 100 young men and women who are in full-time ministry today. And it's a predominantly Catholic area. I'm not hating on Catholics. I can't say you can't be a Christian and be a Catholic, but I will say this, that if you're a Christian and a Catholic you're becoming a Christian in spite of what the church is rolling out, not because of it. At least that's the way it was in South Louisiana. This young man named Preston comes to our campus ministry. He comes from the largest evangelical church in the whole state, the largest youth group in the whole state, in Alexandria, Louisiana. And he's down there, um, he's living a double life. And he got with some of our guys who had a flag football team. They asked him to come play ball. He was far from God. And he began to notice how different they were. He began to experience deep friendships. And it wasn't long before they loved this young man Preston to Christ. I mean, it was an amazing thing to see happen. Life on life, loving him, wanting the best for him, sharing their faith. Just, just, why? Because they loved him. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another, even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. Here's what he said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. A heart for God, a heart for your disciple. Number three, live a godly life. Live a godly life. I can't overemphasize this enough. I want, I want everybody to listen carefully. That is probably the most important even though it's number three on the list, character quality of a disciple maker. You can't take folks on a journey you hadn't been on. Do you hear me? You can't take folks on a journey you hadn't been on. 
if you're going to help people fall in love with God and fall in love with Jesus and follow after Christ, how can you expect them to do that if you're not doing that? Paul said in Philippians 1.27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. When you and I conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, John MacArthur says, the gospel becomes more believable. And I believe that. We not only share the gospel, but we show the gospel. When I came to faith, I was like a fish out of water. I'd been raised Catholic, far from God, doing what everybody else did in my community. And it was no good. God began to give me a stirring in my heart when I first heard the gospel. And through a series of events, I came to faith in Jesus. Thank God for a godly Sunday school teacher. Two choices in town. The Catholic Church and the Baptist Church. Catholic Church wasn't very helpful, so I went to the Baptist Church. Got in this Sunday school class and I was, like Robbie, ignorance on fire. But I had a hunger for God. I was like a sponge. Because of my faith in Christ, and probably some of it was my fault, because of my faith in Christ, my parents put me out of my house. My Sunday school teacher invited me to come live with he and his family. Best thing that ever happened to me, other than coming to faith in Christ. I observed this man. I learned how to pray because he prayed. I learned how to read the Bible because he read the Bible. I learned how to do a quiet time because he did a quiet time. I learned how to share my faith because he shared his faith. I learned how to give because he gave. You get the idea. He modeled before me what it means to be a believer. Here's the deal. When you talk the talk, you better walk the walk. There's an old evangelist named Bill Stafford that helped me when I was a young believer through his preaching. And here's something he said, I'll never forget it. He said, you know, Tim, your talk talks and your walk talks. But your walk always talks louder than your talk talk. Say that really fast five times. Your talk talks and your walk talks. But your walk always talks louder than your talk talks. Lots of discipleship, guys, is caught. And the way it's caught is by walking with somebody who knows how to walk with God. Does that make sense? A heart for God, a heart for your disciple, live a godly life. I love Colossians 1.10. So that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. See, that's it. Walk in a manner that pleases God. What was so cool about Enoch in the Old Testament? He walked with God. And that's what we ought to be doing. And as we walk and flesh out the gospel, the people we invest in see and want to model. Peter talks about that in his epistle. Don't be criticized, Peter says, paraphrase, don't be criticized for the way you live your life. Live a godly life so others can see your good behavior and give glory to to God who's in heaven. Do you see it? Live a God. I can't overemphasize that enough. The fourth is be a friend. Be a friend. My friend John uh, Kelsey from Oklahoma, he used to be the director of the OUBSU And uh, he was a disciple of Max Barnett. Some of you know Max. Great godly disciple maker. Impacted by the navigators. He said discipleship is no more than friendship with a vision. 
making friends in the context of accountable relationships. Listen, my deepest friendships have been in the context of a disciple-making situation. My deepest friendships have been overflowed from that discipleship group. Guys that I've invested in 20, 30 years ago still call me. Some are at this conference. Still call me today. And and want to use me as a sounding board and want to catch up and want to tell me about what's going on in their lives. And I keep in touch with them as well. But there's nothing like it. At the end of 1 Thessalonians 2... Paul told the believers at Thessalonica, you are our uh, joy and crown of rejoicing. That's what Paul said. These relationships are unending. And as friendships are forged, it's so important um, to really be a friend. I can't overemphasize that enough. We make friends for Christ in evangelism and the friends and the friendship is is forged in the context of this discipleship or disciple-making group. We believe in disciple-making with smaller groups, three to five. We believe that's that's vital. And that's what um, we try to help people establish as D groups in their church, three to five. Be a friend. The fifth one is this. Pray for your disciple. Now, even though they're a list, they're all important, okay? These are the essential character qualities. Pray for your disciple. If, let me ask, let me appeal to your reason. If, the Holy Spirit, the church, and the disciple-maker are the agents of discipleship. Wouldn't it stand to reason that you ask God to do what only He can do in the life of the people you're investing in? Doesn't Doesn't that make sense? We have some tremendous models in Scripture about prayer. Jesus, we have the model of Jesus. Jesus prayed all night before he chose the twelve. Probably or arguably the the greatest prayer ever prayed, John 17, was all about Jesus praying for his disciples, right? So we have the model of Jesus, we have the model of Paul, and, and really the... The great prayers in the book of Ephesians. Think about this. The book of Ephesians, and, and those of you who make disciples, let me, let me encourage you. Spend some time with the folks you invest in in the book of Ephesians. Your Bible is the textbook. I'm, I stand before you legally blind. I have an open Bible right now, but I, I'm forced to commit it to memory. Okay? Because I'm blind. So, You know, it's not because I don't believe the Bible's textbook that I don't have it open before you. I'm hiding it in my heart because I can't see well enough to read it here. Okay? But in the book of Ephesians, great book. Take your disciple through that. Take the folks you invest in through that. The book of Ephesians talks about our wealth through relationship with Christ but it also talks about our walk with Christ. Great, great book, okay? So in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul spins from, from around verse 15 all the way to the end of the chapter praying for the believers. He's given them in chapter 1 this tremendous list of, of things about their identity in Christ. Their wealth in Christ. And he, and, he, and he's listed it out for them. They're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. They've been redeemed. They've been forgiven. You know, I, it, there's all sorts of things he says there. They, they've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
um, all the things that we have in Christ, our wealth, if you will. But then he breaks out in prayer for them and he prays that God would somehow enlighten their minds so that they could grasp all of the riches that they have in Jesus. And then as he transitions from their identity to their walk, he has this huge prayer at the end of chapter 3. So he prays for their enlightenment and then he prays for their enablement. Based on all that you've received, I'm going to pray that you walk worthy of the vocation with which you've been called. That you'll flesh out your identity in everyday life. And so there's a tremendous example from the Apostle Paul praying in the book of Ephesians. He's praying, hey, listen, I'm praying that you really get it. And when you get it, then you live it. See how practical that is? And that's what we ought to be praying for our disciple. And we ought to spend time in the context of a discipleship group in prayer. Now, you either have a heart for prayer or you don't. But I would challenge you to have a heart for prayer. Because when you pray, you're saying, hey, I can't do this thing alone. Father, I depend on you. I'm depending on you to do something in their lives that only you can do. I know my limitations. I've come to the end of myself a long time ago, right? And that's why I've got to be on my knees. Especially in discipling relationships. I've got to be on my knees because I'm trusting God to do those things that only He can do. Ian Bounds said it best. You can't rightly talk to men about God until uh, until you first talk to God about men. Right? You can't rightly talk to men about God until you first talk to God about men. Pray for your disciple. Number six, be patient. At some point in your walk, you're going to have to determine in your mind, especially if you invest in people, principles for spiritual growth. The first principle that that are in my list is this. The first principle is this. Spiritual growth takes time. It's not rocket science. It takes time. You know the little sign that says, please be patient. God's not finished with me yet. You've seen that little plaque. Uh, the Gaithers had a song many years ago, a children's album. He's still working on me. You remember that little song? Cute little song. He's creating me to be that all, all that I can be. And that's what God does in the lives of the people that we invest in. He's still working on us. He's still molding and making and shaping and fashioning our lives to be more like Christ. Listen, the end game is bearing the image of God. The end game is realizing that being conformed to the very image of Christ. Everywhere we go, we all, people ought to be able to say, that one belongs to Jesus. He's an image bearer. He's becoming more like Christ. But that takes time. It takes a long time. But that's a fundamental principle of spiritual growth. God's going to mold and make and shape and fashion us into the people He wants us to be. Sanctification, guys, I know is a work that God does. But it requires our effort in each of our lives. Our sanctification is a work that only God can do. He's making us to be more like Christ. That's His purpose, according to Romans 8, 29. 
For those He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ. That's His overriding purpose for all believers' lives, to make us more like Jesus. But I love what Jerry Bridges says, it's a work God does, but it requires our efforts. Does that make sense to everybody? And so we've got to work at sanctification. And the beauty about a D group is we can work together. But as a disciple maker, you've got to be patient. Why? Because you know, you've got some inside knowledge. You know that it's going to take some time. I like the way Robbie says it. He says discipleship is not a uh, microwave recipe. It's a crockpot recipe. Takes time. We want it instantly, don't we? But it's going to take some time. The seventh, continue to learn and grow. By definition, a disciple is a learner. Somebody comes up to me and says, Tim, how you doing? My mindset is this, I'm learning and growing. And I articulate it many times in order to share that mindset with others. That's what we ought to be, guys. We ought to be people in process. We ought to be learning and growing. We ought to be continually learning. We can't ever come to a place where we say, I've arrived. We're all, or or we all ought to be learning. We all ought to be growing. We all ought to be desiring more of Him. And giving Him, maybe this is better, more of us, surrendering more of who we are. We love God with our minds, right? That's what we saw in the scripture in Matthew 22. And here's how it works in discipleship. This is very practical. It's got to get from your head to your heart to your hand. You learn it, you love it, you live it. Head, heart to hand. I love what Robbie says. He says, our belief drives our behavior. And, and of course, that's old as the book of Proverbs, right? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You see, it has got to get from your head to your heart to your hand. And so we need to be constantly learning um, I've heard some folks mention about um, Spader and, and his session about the four chairs, and, and that's intriguing. I want to I want to learn from him about the harmony of the Gospels. I want to learn from him about what it means to follow Christ. And the thing I love about being here at Long Hollow is we have and probably one of the most awesome communicators in America in Robbie Gallaudet. But you know what about Robbie that that I need to share with you? Even though he's got a Ph.D. in expository preaching, even though he was the top student at New Orleans Seminary, this guy continues to learn. Always learning and growing. Always reading. Always talking. Always, I, I mean, it's amazing. He could, he could, you know, he's educated with a PhD. He still wants to know about preaching. He still has a sermon prep team. He still has an evaluation time with the guys where they give him two things that were good and one thing to work on. We do, we do that every week. And the reason he's where he is, he's only been saved uh, 13 years. The reason he's where he is is because he's a lifelong learner. And that's what we ought to strive to be. We ought to be continually learning and growing and 
diving in so that and and there's always more to learn and and the thing about learning is for a disciple maker you're learning for the next guy that's why you ought to take notes when you hear a good sermon that's why you ought to be taking notes in here today because you're going to be able to pass this information on to somebody else the gospel comes to you, right? Because it's headed for somebody else. I don't know our time schedule or our time frame. How are we doing uh, on time? Anybody know? Okay, let's let's have a time of Q and A, and we're gonna we're gonna focus on the area of accountable relationships because that's what this is about, especially the character qualities we ought to have as disciple makers. Now. This list, obviously, is not exhaustible. You could add more things. These are my list. These are the things that I think are essential character qualities for making disciples. Now, when you think about the guys you ought to invest in, write this acrostic down, fat. You're looking for fat people, okay? They're faithful, available and teachable. That's what you're looking for. One guy used the acrostic faith. And he said he's looking for folks that are faithful, available, intentional, trustworthy, and humble. So you can you can make your own acrostic. I I I think it's simple to use fat. That's the kind of people you're looking to invest in. The deal breaker for me is teachable. If they're not teachable, that's the deal breaker. And you can tell pretty quick. And basically what you do is you have a sidebar conversation. You say, you know, um, perhaps at this time it's not your season to be decided. You can do it in a nice way, you know. And, and some guys, you have the right to be able to go to them and say, man, I'd love to invest in you, but you're just not teachable. You're just not teachable. So do we have any questions? What do I do personally? Okay, great question. First of all, I wouldn't, I, I typically don't do one-on-one. I used to do that. I've been convinced part of that learning and growing that a group is better. But basically what I do is I like the guys in the group to share. I like to share my testimony, how God worked to draw me to Christ. And then I want to hear those guys' testimony. And then I typically begin with assurance of salvation. So after after I, I hear from everybody, hear their story... Probably the next week I'd talk about assurance. Of course, I do some housekeeping things. I get them to sign a covenant. At the back of growing up, there's a sample covenant that our team put together for the appendix. In Robbie's book, Growing Up, great resource. Um, Seminaries are beginning to use his book and... Uh, rediscovering discipleship is a great resource as well. And uh, so that's where I begin. I begin with, are they saved? I want to hear their story. And then we go to assurance. And what I'm doing with assurance is I'm going to First John and I'm getting them to journal. And, and here's the deal. I can try to give people assurance based on the story, but only they know between them and God what happened in their lives. But when God gives assurance, if I'm saved, here's what here's what my life's like through First John. They journal. Uh, I get them to make some observations. What John says is true about a saved person. And the trigger's... I get them to look for in First John or um, by this we know we've been born of God because these birthmarks of a believer.
How do I know I'm born of God? Because here's the life I live. I love the brethren. I have this hatred. I begin to have this hatred for sin. I begin to have this love for His Word. You see? So so John spells it out pretty frankly and, and pretty bluntly. And then we walk through 1 John and, and I show them this ought to be your life now if you've truly been saved. And it's amazing, you know, people can come to faith in Christ in the context of a discipleship group. And then they can really be discipled at that point. Does that make sense? That's where I start. Somebody else. Uh, let me let me speak to, to something he said there. Have you come up with a definition in your mind of ministry? Have you thought about that? And he mentioned the Calvary Road. It's a great resource. I commend it to you. The Green Letters by Miles Stanford is another great resource to talk about your position in Christ. And it all goes back to the cross. For me, I'm going to give you my definition. You can wrestle with it if you want. Ministry happens or occurs when I allow God to work through my life, in my life and through my life, to meet the needs of others for His glory. Do you see it? And, and so it's this idea of us being a vessel that God can work through and God can use. And, and here's the deal. I don't have anything that I offer to God other than a clean vessel. God's got all the resources that the people I invest in need. And so if, if I'm doing it right, I've got to come to the end of myself. I've got to die to the self-life so that the Christ life, the, the, the life of Jesus, can flow through me to meet the needs of others for His glory. And a lot of times we try to help God out. When God's saying, I'm not so concerned about what you can do for me, I'm more concerned about what I can do through you. Two principles in the Gospel of John. John 12, the principle of death. Except a grain of wheat fall into the earth and die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then in John 15, the principle of abiding. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But what's he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so as you do ministry, as you make disciples, these two principles have to be always working if God's going to use you effectively. The principle of death, dying to self, and the principle of abiding in Christ so that He can work through you to accomplish His purposes. Do you see it? See what I'm talking about? Principle of death, principle of abiding. Very important. Somebody else have a question? Good stuff. Yes. That's what, that's what we had at Brainerd. Um, and and, and let, me, let, me, uh, let me say this to you. That's where most churches are, right? We don't, we don't have the uh, privilege of having, you know, every church we deal with a church plant or you do it the way you want to do it. Most churches have this long tradition of things that have served them well. And so you, being the smart guy that you are, rather than wanting to blow up Sunday school, when you start new groups, let them be home groups. And you introduce the model that you want to introduce. More about living life together. And discipleship happens more in circles than it does in rows. Right? 
In fact, if I would have had my way this morning, I would have had tables in here and you guys sitting around tables and fleshing some of this stuff out. And that's the way I train. That's the way I do it. But so being the smart guy that you are, don't don't, you know, two ways to remove a stump. I was talking with my brothers from Alabama over here. One way you can remove it is blow it up and then everybody loses. The other way to remove the stump or, or to avoid the stump is more around it. And, and so you'd be wise if you have good preaching, a good worship gathering. Out of worship comes witness. So that, that's a great thing. People are edified, encouraged. And then you have a regular Sunday school. You can organize the groups, the existing groups, with care groups that can accomplish some of the same things that you want to accomplish in in home groups. But you'll have to tweak it some. That's what we did at Brainerd. And then when we started new groups, we started them in the homes. And we did a sermon-based model that reiterated and reemphasized what Robbie was preaching. And then the D groups are the missing element. Because there's no accountability in that big Sunday school class. But in a D group... And the beauty about the traditional Sunday school is that is the best fishing pond for D groups. That's where you, you live life together with people and you can find, because friendships happen, you can find some folks that you can invest in. Does that make sense? And, and so I wouldn't, and, and I'd love to talk to you more about it at a break or something like that. I'd, I'd be happy to talk to you. I'll be at the Replicate booth for the rest of the morning. Be happy to talk to you. If I can help you strategize for your church, I love doing that. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm just really practical. Uh, don't know a whole lot except what I've learned. And uh, I'd be happy to help you because we've helped people through our cohort and through our blueprint. We've helped churches all over to make disciples. And so that's been exciting to do. Be happy to help you. Yes. That's a great question. Let me, let me tell you my, my idea about leading D-group leaders. And here's the way I say it. It might be a Cajun way to say it. Excuse me if I say it badly. You need to train on the front end, on the back end, and all the way between is the way I say it. Okay. Before they ever lead a D-group, you train leaders. And that training has to be focused on encouragement and, hey, you can do this. Giving them guardrails. Here's what we expect. Here's what it's going to take. Um, here's what's going to happen in the context of a group. Just step by step, here's what you do. So, so that training is very important. And we're very encouraging and we don't even talk about problems here. Now, when they get to leading a group, huh, because people are messy, guess what? They've got a mess on their hands. They've got some problems. So you've got to train them about how to deal. The questions are always the same. What do I do with a guy that's not faithful? What do I do with a guy that wants to talk and monopolize the group? And then I have another guy that doesn't want to say anything. What do I do if somebody's got consistent, persistent sin and they won't repent? You know, we, we have this smorgasbord of questions. You've got to deal with that and you've got to give them strategies to be able to deal with that because they don't know. They've never done it. Or maybe they've been through a group, but they've never led a group. Or never facilitated, I like to say better, a group. And so it's important. it's important to do that. And then on the back end, when people are embracing discipleship as a manner of life, as a lifestyle, you get them together for roundtable discussions and you introduce new ideas and you introduce, introduce new processes and you introduce... Uh, and, and really, that's only a small part of it. What I like about getting those guys that have been doing it for a while is they challenge me. And they come up with things that I didn't come up with. And they find things that are working and they find things that are not working. And 
when you can share with one another more as peers instead of top-down leadership just all together, um, then I learn a lot. And they help me to formulate the trainings that I do with the groups. Does that, does that so make how, sense? How do you practically? I think the best formation is organic formation. It's not, as we said yesterday in the, in the panel we did, it's not deharmony discipleship. It's not eharmony.com. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, uh, let them, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pray about who they'd like in their groups. And so we like organic formation. We're not going to tell everybody, y'all show up um, in the student building and we're going to divide up teams. It's not going to be like an NFL draft. You know what I'm saying? We've got so many leaders. We've got so many guys. We've got so many gals with so many leaders. We, we're not matching them up. We want, we believe, talk about that being a friend. We believe that, that it's best if, if they've already been acquainted. We did it practically. We did it uh, once a quarter. We did it at night. We did a supper. And we were running out of space, so we had to keep changing venues because we had more and more people that we invited to come to the... We did that one by invitation only. Um, at first, it was me and Robbie and uh, two or three other people. And then um, after that, uh, people who are embracing it, I mean, the, the number just grew and grew, and it was, it was awesome the way it worked. So, yes. Yes. One way I think you could do it, I've done it two ways. I've met with them. It depends on the kind of person they are. Um, I've either met with them privately, but then invited them back to the group, and we shared it in the group and let them share it to where you're not the bad guy. You're not the heavy. That that's probably that would work well if if she'd agree to do that. To just say, guys, I'm sorry. Um, now's not my time. I'm not doing my assignments. I'm not. Uh, I'm, my heart's not really in it because I've got this going on in my life. And and if you've been praying together and and really going deep in relationship, they already know that there's some issues. Right, that she has, evidently. Or if it's just not doing the assignments, uh, really, the, you know, you can point out to them, you know, she never had her memory verse ready. She never did her assignment. She never read the chapters that I assigned or, um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but you've got to, you've got to do it in a way where you're not the bad guy if you can, if that makes sense. And Mercedes, I love that name. That's a beautiful name. It's a beautiful. Somebody else. That's a great question. Here's, here's the way we do that. Each D group leader is responsible for the guys that he's going to release to go make D groups. Or I, I keep saying guys, I'm using that generically. Please, ladies, please forgive me. Cause I, I'd have to keep saying men with men, women. I, you know, when I say guys, I mean all of us. Okay. Uh, folks, maybe folks might be better. So you meet with your folks and you get a whiteboard and you do this like two months out and you list all their names on the whiteboard and you, you challenge them in the context of that group to begin to be thinking about people that they're going to pour their lives into. So you write them on the board, you, you kind of get, kind of get real with it and write them and then you begin to pray. For those people that as they're approached, if, if this is something that God's doing, that they would say, yes, I've been waiting to be in a D group or I'd love to be. Uh, and, and when you go to somebody, you don't say, hmm, I want to disciple you, man. You don't, you don't do, cause that's arrogant, right? You know, you don't want to be humble. You, you go to them and you say, listen, uh, what do you think about getting together weekly? Uh, to read the Bible, to memorize Scripture, and to pray together. Simple as that. Because the three spiritual disciplines we found founded our D-groups on 
are Bible reading and journaling, scripture memory, and prayer. I can't hardly do a, a D group unless it's an hour and a half. I like two hours better, but an hour and a half is great. Simply because prayer is an important element of my D group. Bible reading and journaling, scripture memory, and prayer. Those are the three disciplines that we... And, and of course, scripture memory is kind of a sub-discipline of Bible intake. And hold out your hand. Let me show you this. Some of you may not know this. Hold out your hand. We want to have a firm grasp on the Word of God. We hear it preached. We read it. We study it. We memorize it. We meditate upon it. And we apply it. The old navigator hand illustration. Hear it preached. Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate. Listen, you can't meditate on the Word unless you have it committed to memory. Right? And, and that's a great discipline, meditation. I remember one time um, I was in transition, and uh, because I served in smaller churches in South Louisiana, I was transitioning from a small church to a church where God led me to go, but it was even a smaller place, and I didn't know how we are going to make ends meet. And... Uh, I meditated on a verse in Psalms where it says, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so that, that I had that verse committed to memory and I meditated. Every time that I started to get anxious and fear, I thought about that verse. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God, I'm, I'm following your will. I'm obeying you. I'm doing exactly what I understand you want me to do. No good thing. And it was amazing. As my wife and I held on to that, she was more fearful than I was. God just... I mean, something crazy happened like we showed up at the church and they doubled my salary the first day I stepped on the place. I mean, unbelievable. And God saying, I got this. Ha! I got this. You trust me. You obey me. I got this. So so what I do is I get a whiteboard, list the names. We're praying. We're encouraging one another. Man, this is going to be a great group. You know, those guys are awesome that you're wanting to be in your group. I, I believe this guy's top shelf. You know, I, I think he's a potential D group leader or an apprentice for your group or what, or what have you. And, and y'all can talk about it, and, and it's exciting because it's not them doing this on their own. It's you doing this as a group. So when you think church life, think more, instead of Lone Ranger, think more group project. So you can help them and challenge them to find their folks in the context of that group where there's still accountability there. And then you check up and follow up with them after to say, how are you, how are you coming along in getting your group together? And I like to release them to go to their group immediately. So they've already got it. They've already been working it. We've already been praying for them. Go to your group. And then we have a commissioning service when I release folks, typically. I'll be happy to talk to anybody at either here or at the booth. I, I love you guys. Let me pray for you before we go. Father, I thank you for these who have a heart for you, God, and a heart for people. I pray, Father, that we allow you to work in, to work through, to meet the needs of others for your glory. I pray, God, for every person here. I ask, Father, that, that you show them who they can invest in. If they're already doing D groups, if they're already investing in people, Give them a grace to keep doing that. And if they're not, I pray that you would thrust them out to make disciples. Lord, help us to obey you. And Lord, if we're not obeying you in the area of disciple making, help us to repent and turn around 
so that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you for each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.